Well, this week I was watching um, a, a video about Tesla, the car company, and it was talking about kind of driverless cars, you know, where you just get in and they, they take you where you want to go. And for many of us, you know, that's what life used to be like, wasn't it? Life was on cruise control in a way. We just kind of went through week by week. We didn't really think too much about the bigger picture. You know, we were busy from one day to the next. And in some ways, I think what this pandemic has done is it's forced us to pause, hasn't it? And to look up and to, to ask some of those bigger questions about what life is all about. And probably some of us, particularly early on, found that really helpful. You know, it was a chance maybe to, to clear out some of the busyness in our lives that didn't need to be there. And I think particularly early on, lots of us appreciated that space. Some of those bigger questions, though, will, will have been painful too, won't they? And at the moment, some of us might be grappling with, with that question of, you know, what is the point in life at the moment? What's life all about? What's going on? And as we come to the book of Ecclesiastes, it's, it's a book that grapples with those questions. You know, a bit like Lamentations, Ecclesiastes is one of those books in the Bible which is very unique. You know, it has its own voice. And it grapples with those uncomfortable parts of life. We've been um, moving house this week, so we've been, you know, lots of packing boxes and unpacking boxes. Um, and Alice very kindly did, did a lot of, um, you know, the, the, the packing of boxes uh, as we were kind of getting ready to move. And as we're unpacking, um, you know, I've kind of been discovering what's in each box. And usually they, they, they're very neat, aren't they? You know, in each, it's these kind of square cardboard boxes all sealed up. Well, I came across one yesterday, you know, where it, it was there, a normal square um, cardboard box. But out of the corner was, you know, this pole was protruding. I guess it just wouldn't fit in. Um, so there it was kind of coming out. I guess, I, I think it was a lampstand or something like that. Now, that, you know, it probably shows a bit my, about my character. That bothered me. You know, you can't stack on a box like that, can you? Um, and life is a bit like that, isn't it? You know, it doesn't all fit neat and tidily into the places we'd like it to be. There are bits that stick out awkwardly. There are things that are unresolved, that don't sit right. And, and in many ways, Ecclesiastes grapples with that aspect of life. You know, all those contradictions that we feel. All the kind of difficult bits and awkward bits is, is what Ecclesiastes picks up on. And the, the message Ecclesiastes has for us is a surprising message, really. And it's this. You won't find all the answers in this world. You won't find all the answers in this world. So let me read um, Ecclesiastes 1 to 11 as we begin. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem, Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations. And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Gives you a feel for the book, 
You know, it's a different kind of voice, isn't it, to what we're maybe used to reading in Scripture. And just let me zoom in on those first three verses. So if we turn to the next slide, we're introduced right at the beginning to a teacher. And, and really, we follow the, 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 this teacher's journey. And, you know, Sol- King Solomon's never kind of explicitly mentioned, but he's very much the figure that fits the description in Ecclesiastes. And then there's two key phrases in these first three um, verses that I just want to draw attention to. The first is this phrase, under the sun. You know, Ecclesiastes talks about what's going on under the sun, and that's talking about life on earth, life here and now. You know, this physical world, that the 70, 80 what, you know, years that we have, life as we experience it, that's life under the sun. You know, and Joshua was reminding us earlier, wasn't he, that God created a good world. But there's a bit more to it than that, isn't there? Because after Genesis 1 and 2 comes Genesis 3 and the fall of our world. So the world we live in, yes, is good, but we also live, don't we, in a broken world, a world under God's curse, a world um, that, that is fallen. And Ecclesiastes really grapples with, what it's, with the frustration of living in a broken world. And actually, whether we're believers, whether we're not yet believers in the Lord Jesus, we, we live in that broken world, don't we? We feel its frustration. So Ecclesiastes is talking about life under the sun, life as we experience it. And then there's this other word, meaningless. And this word comes up 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's kind of the conclusion. Life is meaningless. Now, in some ways, meaningless isn't the most helpful translation. It kind of, that makes you think of someone, a philosopher in their chair, doesn't it? Kind of scratching their head. Um, other translations, you know, would use the word vanity. Again, I don't think that's the most helpful because we don't use that word very, very often. But the Hebrew word behind it is the word hebel. And it, it means something like breath. So I'll never forget um, at one of my uh, um, classes when I was um, studying um, that we were learning about the book of Ecclesiastes. And our teacher, he, um, at this point, he, he brought in a huge cigar and he lit up this cigar. You can imagine in a Bible college, we're all kind of shocked and stunned. He lit up this cigar and puffed smoke into the room. And then he said to us, that's what hebel means. So that stuck with me, as you can imagine. You know, it, it's that sense that something's vaporous. We can't really get hold of it. If, you, if we turn to the next slide... Um, this is a picture my mother-in-law took this week in the snow. So that's looking at, across um, to Bailden Moor, and you can see the mist in the valley. It's beautiful, isn't it? Now just imagine, you know, we, you, you were there in that shot, and you thought, oh, that mist looks, looks beautiful. I want, I, I want to get hold of some of that. You know, I want to take some of that home. It, it would look great in the living room. You know, and you, you kind of head off, um, you know, down the, down the valley. You could get to where the mist is, couldn't you? But what are you going to find? you're going to find that that mist is always kind of in front of you. It always escapes your grasp. You can't collect it up, can you? And control it and kind of put it in your bag. Actually, you'd have been better just to enjoy it from the hill. And Ecclesiastes is saying life is a bit like that. You know, we can never really get hold of it. It always escapes our grasp. That's this sense of, of meaningless or, or hebel. And the first big point we're going to see in Ecclesiastes is this. In this world, true meaning and satisfaction always escape our grasp. And this is a conclusion the author has reached through experience. You know, so King Solomon was one of the most powerful, wise, wealthy men of his day. Think maybe today of like an Elon Musk or a Jeff Bezos. 
You know, King Solomon was that kind of character. If, if he had a project on that he wanted to do, he could do it. And he's tried all the familiar options for meaning and satisfaction. So he's tried study. You know, that would be a common approach, wouldn't it? If you want to find the meaning for life, you need to study. You need to think. You need to read. You need to get a PhD in philosophy. You know, that's where you find out that kind of stuff. Let me just read um, uh, Ecclesiastes 1, 16 to 18. He says this. He says, I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Do you see what he's saying? In the end, his conclusion is, look, study and learning and wisdom doesn't lead to happiness and satisfaction. Actually, in many ways, you just become more aware of the problems of this world more aware of these tensions and difficulties. So he, he tries study. He tries pleasure. You know, maybe that's more appealing than a PhD. You know, what about that? Isn't that the, you know, the place we're going to find satisfaction? So he tries having a good time. And this isn't just like a small party at the weekend. He really lives it large. So the, the, these verses talk about laughter and parties, about fine food and wine about great projects, you know, building huge houses and, and massive gardens to enjoy, about entertainment, about sex. You know, it talks about having, having a, a harem full of the most beautiful women in the world. So Solomon tried that. You know, the, I guess the equivalent today would be kind of fast cars, holidays in the Caribbean. And many would look at that and say, oh, that, that would be a happy life. That would be a good life, a satisfying life. This is the kind of life of the celebrity influencer today. But again, listen to his conclusion. So this is chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. You know, he finds out what I guess many of us have found out the hard way. That, that pleasure is fun while it lasts, but afterwards you're often left just as flat as before. Pleasure simply distracts for a while. It doesn't provide true meaning or satisfaction. So he, he tries study, he tries pleasure, he tries work. You know, and, and again, that's a place many will look, won't, won't we, for, for satisfaction and meaning. We'll look to a career. You know, I want to be someone who's going to do something significant. And we throw ourselves into, into our work, hoping it's going to fulfill us. So let me read um, chapter 2, a bit later, verses 20 and 23. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. And then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and the anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. My, um, I've just found out my uncle was um, uh, featured in the, in the Queen's Honours list this year. He, he, was, he received an MBE for his work um, 
as the head of a, a technical college that he's um, led for a number of years. You know, and that's a, a great moment of satisfaction in lots of ways, isn't it? But, you know, what does Ecclesiastes say? Well, he's just retired, actually. And Ecclesiastes points out, you know, for all of that, he's got to pass it on in the end, hasn't he? You know, you can't take that with you. And actually, you don't know what's going to happen when you pass something on, whether it's going to be led well or actually whether all that hard work is going to get undone. And then let me, um, let me read again from chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. You know, I remember when um, I started as a management consultant and I looked at the, the partners in the company. You know, and on paper, they're the people that had made it. You know, they had the status and the salary and the power. But as I looked at their lives, they'd given so much to their work, they were lonely. They, they had no friends left, no family. And actually, even at that stage, you could see that, that they hadn't worked out what life was all about. They'd taken one thing and, and blown it up too big. Um, you know, at, actually, um, we, can, we can think within our career, can't we, that you know, we're indispensable and, and what we're doing is so important. But someone once said to me, and this is stuck, the graveyard is full of indispensable men. The graveyard is full of indispensable men. So he's, he's tried study, he's tried pleasure, he's tried work. Uh, he comes into riches. You know, and again, this is common, isn't it? If only I had more money, then life would be good. So let me read verse, chapter 5, verses 10 to 12. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to their owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Some of you will have heard the, um, the, the quote from the famous American billionaire, um, Rockefeller. A reporter asked him, how much money is enough? His answer, just a little bit more. You know, do you see the hebel? We, we, we can't get hold of it, can we? And it's always just ahead of us. And, and the, you see the paradox that the writer's drawing out here. You know, the laborer, they might not own very much money, but they sleep well at the end of the day. The rich, they can't sleep because they're anxious about their possessions and about their wealth. And actually, we see something of this, don't we? Just as, um, you know, Phil mentioned in his prayers, as we look at the developed world, the, the developing world, in many ways, in resources, they're poorer. But actually, in other ways, they are rich, aren't they? You know, or, or flip it, look at the developed world. We have a lot of material wealth, but there's great poverty in other places, aren't there? You know, we're racked with anxiety and depression and loneliness. Whereas actually often those in places where they have less have an abundance of joy and love. So riches, he said, that's not the answer. So he, he, he tries, you see, with, for, through experience, these different areas. And says in the end, you know, you're left chasing after the wind. You're left trying to get hold of something that escapes your grasp. And look, he's not saying that these things are bad things. He's not saying that study is, is, is bad. He's just saying, ultimately, we won't find there true meaning and satisfaction. We'll be left empty-handed. And 
one of the reasons I think Ecclesiastes is so helpful is it stops that if only that so many of us do. If only I could get married, life would be great. If only I could get promoted, then I'd be satisfied. If only we could get a new house, then everything would fall into place. We're suckers for that, aren't we? And do you see what Ecclesiastes says? When we get there, we'll, 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 have, we'll, be, we'll find that we've chased after the wind. What we're looking for is still escaping us. And there's a specific, in Ecclesiastes, there's a specific kind of application to the young. Um, you know, to, to, I guess those who are teenagers or, or in, in your 20s and, and are starting to kind of look ahead to life and work out what you're going to prioritize. And Ecclesiastes is really saying, look, learn at this stage, don't waste your life chasing after the wind. It's so easy, isn't it, when you're looking out at the rest of your life to look at those things, study or, or riches or work or pleasure and think, look, that's what I need to get hold of. But in many ways, Ecclesiastes is a teacher saying, look, I've been there. I've, I've done it far fuller than you're ever going to do it. And I can tell you, you'll be left empty handed. So if, if that's you, if you're kind of at the stage of actually looking ahead to life, thinking, what's my life going to be about? Listen to the teacher in Ecclesiastes. Now, at this stage, you might be saying, okay, look, you've got my attention, but so far it's been quite cynical, hasn't it? Quite negative. You know, if that's not what life is about, what is the key to living well? And I think this will be on the next slide, um, if that could come up. And the first kind of um, positive key that we're given in Ecclesiastes, is to receive life as a gift. And we see this conclusion a number of times throughout the book. So we have the next slide. Let me read some of these verses. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. This is what I have observed to be good, that it's appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. And lastly, again, a similar message. Go eat your food with gladness. Drink your wine with a joyful heart. For God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love. All the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. And I think if we're going to summarize what those verses are saying, they're saying receive life as a gift. You know, in many ways, the wisdom of Ecclesiastes is not what we, we'd expect, is it? That's not the answer we'd expect the Bible to give necessarily to this question. And in many ways, the lesson we need to learn from Ecclesiastes is one of humility. Coming to accept that we're not in control of our own lives. And until we get our heads around that truth, we won't be able to learn what Ecclesiastes has to say to us, which is that actually there's much more health in receiving life as a gift than trying to grab hold of it in our own strength. And this is exactly the opposite of the way the world around us sees life, isn't it? 
The world around us says you start life with a blank slate and life is what you make of it. So it tells us to be who you want to be. Life is what you make of it. You see, the emphasis is all on us, isn't it? It's up to us to create our lives. Whereas Ecclesiastes says, no, life is a gift from God that we receive. So instead of trying to control it, enjoy it as he gives it to you. Think of the snow this week, okay, as an illustration. You never know when snow is coming, do you? It, it comes when it comes. It goes when it goes. And you've got two options in that. Option one is we can get frustrated because that is not part of our plans. It hasn't come on the right day. Why didn't it come on Saturday? That's when we want the snow, but it's gone on Saturday. So we can get frustrated, can't we? Our plans are disrupted. You know, we get frustrated that it's melted when we've now got time off. So that's one option, isn't it, when, when snow comes, to be frustrated because it doesn't fit in with our plans. But option two when the snow comes is to enjoy God's gift when he gives it. You know, to go out and make snowmen. We saw all those pictures, didn't we? You know, to, to enjoy it. Um, you know, go out sledging and to give thanks for the snow when it comes. Do you, see the, do you see those two different ways of doing life? To acknowledge, look, that's not in our control, but it's a gift God's given, so we'll enjoy it today. And that's what Ecclesiastes is trying to get at. Actually, it's not just snow that's like that. Life is like that. We're not in control of it. God gives it. And that's humbling for us, isn't it? But we're never going to live well until we really grapple with that truth. It's so easy, isn't it, to, to go through life striving to control it. And I think this is something the pandemic has exposed. It certainly has in my heart. You know, think even of the narrative of this pandemic. We want a plan, don't we? Desperately, we want a plan. We want, and, and this is why I think these announcements are so disruptive, because the plan keeps changing. And at the moment, you know, we're all settled in this idea that the vaccine will come, that will sort us out, and we'll go back to normal. But we all know, I think, deep down, it might not be as simple as that. All it takes is one strain to be dodge the vaccine, and we're back in a different scenario, aren't we? But you see how we, we need something, don't we, that we want to cling on to. We want to control all this. But actually, surely one of the lessons to learn from this pandemic is we're not in control. And that isn't comfortable, is it? It's humbling. But until we grapple with that, actually, we'll never live rightly in God's world. So actually, Ecclesiastes says, look, enjoy what God's given you today rather than worrying about how you're going to control tomorrow. You know, so in the midst of COVID, it's easy, isn't it, to get caught up in the, the big questions, the uncertainties. But there is a wisdom in enjoying the small mercies and provisions in each day. See what Ecclesiastes is saying? When we go home today for lunch, give thanks for the food that God's given you. You know, enjoy that. Actually, if we can't enjoy our lunch today and praise God for it, then we're missing something. Now, in some ways, Ecclesiastes is a surprise, isn't it, in the scriptures? But in some ways, it shouldn't surprise us. Because the message of Christianity through and through is life is a gift, isn't it? Isn't that what the gospel says? The gospel says life, not just physical life, but spiritual life is a gift from God. It's not something we can get hold of ourselves. It's something God gives to us. You know, that's the good news of the Lord Jesus, isn't it? That he has come, that he has initiated that he has died in our place and he offers us the gift of life. And you see, that's humbling. The gospel's humbling, isn't it? Because we have to come and say, look, I can't do anything to help myself. All I can do is receive a gift, like a little child. 
But Ecclesiastes says it's not just the gospel, it's the whole of life like that. Actually, it's something we receive from God. So that's the, the first key, really, from Ecclesiastes, is to, in, to, to receive life as a gift. The second key is to come to terms with death. Now, COVID has put death on our minds, hasn't it? You know, we're used to seeing graphs like this, if you can see the next page. Yeah, we, we see those day by day, don't we? Suddenly, death is everywhere around us in a way that perhaps it wasn't a year ago. And, you know, the numbers are shocking, aren't they? And it's right that we're shocked by the numbers. So this week, the BBC reported 85,000 excess deaths in 2020 as a result of this pandemic in different ways. You know, and that's a, a huge number. And when we realize, of course, that, that each of those is a family, you know, or, or a colleague, or a friend, we're rightly shocked, aren't we, by a number like that. But actually, behind those figures, there lies another number, which for some reason we don't think about. So if we can have the next one. So 530,841. That was the deaths in the UK in 2019. So before COVID arrived. But we don't grapple with that number, do we? We've kind of got used to it. It doesn't shock us anymore. See, actually, as, as terrible as COVID is, those who recover from COVID, they may well still die in a year or two of something else. And, and yes, it might be from a cause that we're more familiar with, heart attack or cancer. But you see, actually, that the big reality for us to get our heads around isn't actually COVID, it's death. D death is the great leveler, isn't it? This, this comes out throughout Ecclesiastes. So let me read chapter 2, verses 12 to 16. Then I turn my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the kin king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. Do you see how death is the great leveler, isn't it? It's one of the things that makes this world so confusing. However we live, whether we're wise or foolish, we end up in the same place, don't we? Actually, death comes to all of us. And just as Ecclesiastes is saying, though it's uncomfortable, in a few generations' time, all of us will be forgotten. Now, again, that's not a comfortable reality, is it? We like to think our lives are so important and so significant. But until we actually realize our place, we won't live well. And I get it, we don't like thinking about death. But Ecclesiastes says we'll never live well in the world actually until we come to terms with it. So let me again read some verses from chapter 7. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. See what it's saying? It's saying you're going to learn more at a funeral than you will at a wedding. Now, we don't like going to funerals, do we? But the author here is saying, look, you need to grapple with death if you're going to live well. 
One of the books on Ecclesiastes that I found most helpful, and I'd recommend if you want to spend a bit more time in the book, is this book called Destiny by David Gibson. Um, I found it to be really useful, and it's the, the kind of tagline on it is this, learning to live by preparing to die. You see what he's saying? And Until we get our heads around death, we won't live rightly. And he suggests that instead of living forwards, in a way we should live life backwards. See, most of us, we live life forwards, don't we? So we're kind of always striving to make something of ourselves, and then suddenly we arrive at death, and it's a shock to us. So Terry Pratchett has a wonderful way of putting it. He says, inside every old person is a young person wondering what happened. It's humorous, isn't it? But that's quite hard-hitting, actually. And David Gibson says, no, we need to live life backwards. Actually, we need to start at death and that reality and actually then set our priorities accordingly. And remember, you know, what I said Ecclesiastes teaches us. You won't find all the answers in this world. But actually, that's because this world is not all there is. So listen to what Ecclesiastes says in chapter 3, verse 11. It says, he, that is God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Why does life, this life, always escape our grasp? It's because our hearts have been set on something greater. Do you see, so if we're looking for answers only in the here and now, we're always going to be chasing after the wind. Think, think of it like this, okay? And I, I can't take credit for this illustration. I was on the phone with Joy Garford this week, and, and she shared it with me. So that was um, God's provision, really. Okay, so th- I've got a rope here, and on the end is this white section. That's our life on earth. You know, that's life under the sun, our 60, 70, 80 years, whatever it might be. And this is so often where our focus is, isn't it? This is where we're looking for answers and satisfaction and fulfillment. But what Ecclesiastes is saying is we've got to see this under the sun section in the context of eternity. So actually, when we start looking in the context of eternity, it gives us some perspective, doesn't it? We start to see things a little bit differently. It will shape and change our priorities. And Ecclesiastes is saying until we get our heads around this fact, you know, that under the sun, these 70 or 80 years are but a moment. We'll never live life well. We'll start to live life well when we realize, you know, when we come to terms with death, when we come to terms with actually that this world is not all there is. So receive life as a gift, Ecclesiastes says. Come to terms with death. That the third key it gives us for, for life is to fear God. You know, why has God made life this way? Well, if I keep reading from chapter 3, um, that question is answered. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. And here it is. God does it so that people will fear him. So that we'll fear him. And that means that we'll relate rightly to him. We'll give him the respect that he deserves. Do you see, it's not the answer we want from suffering, is it? 
But in many ways, what Ecclesiastes says is the frustrations of this world should teach us that it's not all about us. And we're not in control. It should point us to the Lord. And again, this is where Ecclesiastes ends. So let me read right from the end of the book, the conclusion. So Ecclesiastes 12 says, Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. And then from verse 6, Remember him before the silver cord is severed, and the golden bowl is broken, before the picture is shattered at the spring, and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Do you see what Ecclesiastes is saying? It's saying, get right with God now. It's so common, isn't it? Particularly when we're young. To think, oh, I'll I'll sort of sort the stuff out with God when I'm older. For now, I want to have a good time. Ecclesiastes says, don't do that. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know when death will come. And actually, if we spend our life hardening our hearts towards God... So often it's not the case that in those final years we come to him. Ecclesiastes says, sort stuff out with God now. Get right with him. You know, and COVID in many ways has reinforced what we're learning here in Ecclesiastes, hasn't it? This year we have felt the frustration of the world. None of us can deny the brokenness of this world. None of us can deny that sense of trying to get hold of life, but it evades our grasp. And it might also have exposed a shallowness in our faith. You know, difficult times refine, but they also find out, don't they? And maybe some of us have become aware that there wasn't much there with the Lord. In reality, we came because we enjoyed church, and when actually it was less fun, we don't come anymore. Or maybe as soon as a hardship has come, we're all over the place spiritually. Maybe we've, it's not been comfortable for us, finding out really where we're at with God. And Ecclesiastes would say, do business with the Lord. You know, come to him. Fear him. You know, if COVID's going to teach us anything, let's make sure we sort out our relationship with the Lord and we come to know him properly. I was talking with some friends, um, some old uni friends last night, and we were just discussing a bit, you know, what's God doing in this time? And one of them said, and it really kind of resonated, he said, I think at the beginning of the pandemic, lots of people said this would be a great time for evangelism, a great time for sharing our faith. But actually, it hasn't really worked out like that. He said, I think what God's been doing really is he's been showing us issues. You know, it's been a time of actually having to come back to the Lord. It's been a time of repentance in many ways. And one of, one of my friends asked this question, and it really stuck with me. He said, what would it take... For, for, for us as a nation, for us as a church, to take the Lord seriously? What would the Lord have to do for us to take him seriously? What would the Lord have to do f- to turn us from materialism to the fear of God? Now, I, I, you know, we don't exactly know, do we, what God's doing in this pandemic, but you see the force of that question. You know, I, it's obviously true in our nation, isn't it, that we don't take God seriously, we don't fear him. We live our lives as if he didn't exist. But if we're honest, that's not miles away from the church. You know, often it's more about us than it is about God. So this is probably isn't the lesson we want to learn in suffering, is it? But if we're wise, we'll let God teach us. We're not in control. You know, sometimes we need to be humbled and to remember that he is God and to come rightly to him again. Because listen to how the, the, the very last two verses of the book. 
Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Do you remember I I shared that example of the box? You know, life is like that, isn't it? It doesn't all fit in neatly. There's lots that's unresolved and awkward and sticking out. Well, there is going to be a day when everything is resolved, when everything is rightly put in its place, where all injustices are dealt with. There is a day coming of judgment. And again, do you see, as we look past life under the sun to the coming judgment day, that's when we'll live rightly before the Lord. We don't live rightly before the Lord because it necessarily pays off right now. It might not. You know, Ecclesiastes says it doesn't always work like that. We live rightly before the Lord because of what's to come. And just as we finish, you know, in some ways, Ecclesiastes might be a bit of a surprise to us. It, I hope you've enjoyed spending time in this book. I'd encourage you to read it this week if it's a book you're not familiar with. But isn't this exactly what Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 6? You know, what does, what does Matthew say about Jesus? One wiser, one greater than Solomon is here. And think about what we've been learning today. We've been learning to receive life as a gift. What does Jesus say in Matthew 6, 25 to 27? He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Receive life as a gift. You know, Ecclesiastes teaches us to come to terms with death. What does Jesus say in Matthew 6, 19? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's exactly the same, isn't it? Don't invest all our time in this little white bit at the end of the rope. Don't put all of our investment there. Invest in what's to come. Ecclesiastes teaches us to fear God. What does Jesus say in Matthew 6.33? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You know, the pandemic has forced us to press pause, hasn't it? And if we're honest, it's done that against our will. And it's not, it's not comfortable But God will have lessons for us if we're willing to listen. So let's learn wisdom, you know, rather than longing to to rush back to cruise control, that we might live rightly before God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, it is full of surprises. And yet, that is one of the reasons we're so grateful to hear your voice, the voice of the living God. Lord, your ways are higher than our ways, your thoughts greater than our thoughts. So, Lord, you know what we need to learn from this book. We pray, Lord, that you you teach that to us. Lord, even today, we pray you'd help us to receive life as a gift. Sorry, Lord, we're sorry where we've tried to control life as if we're in charge. Help us to receive life as a gift from you with gratitude. Lord, we pray that our investment and our our vision would go past this life under the sun. Lord, that we would live in light of eternity. 
And again, Lord God, where we need to fear you and to respond to you rightly, would you help us to do that? Lord, particularly if we're feeling that challenge, we pray you'd help us to respond today, to do business with the Lord. Lord, that we might come to you rightly as the sovereign God who rules over all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.